I'm your host Petri, and this show helps you to build your company. We are on this journey together sharing knowledge, experience, and learning from each other. In this episode, I talk with SLAS CEO Mika Huttunen. SLAS is a huge student volunteer movement that has been gaining momentum the last 10 years from a very humble beginnings among a few students and an idea. The events were among the largest in the startup ecosystem. And I used to describe the late November event as a business disco. The atmosphere was unique. And this year, everything changed. The main event was cancelled early in the year. And SLAS took drastic measures to adapt to the new reality. What's the future of business events? And how to accomplish your mission in this decade? That's what we are discussing in this episode. Hey Mika, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. You started earlier this year as CEO of SLAS. And pretty soon you figured out that you have to let go two thirds of your staff. How did that feel? Well, uh, that's that's uh, quite a starter. Um, well, it obviously felt um, really bad. Um, at Slush, uh, we kind of work extremely closely together, and our our friends, uh, even out, uh, our friends outside the office and at the office, and and spend a lot of time together. And and obviously, it wasn't something that I was planning uh, for the year. So I must say that doesn't uh, didn't feel that that good, um, but obviously that made me realize, or that experience made me realize that once I was in in, in the middle of the situation, that that uh, I knew that that has to be done. Simply that we're not able to do our main product this year, and mainly a uh, big part of the team was formed around that. Um, my key learning from that was that you simply, as a CEO or as a leader, uh, you have to kind of uh, move towards the pain. There was moments when I wanted to kind of just uh, forget what what's happening or kind of step to that step to the side. But as a CEO or as a leader. Uh, when you know that something evident is happening, uh, you just have to walk towards the pain and kind of do the decision, uh, even though it it would feel quite bad. You were preparing for the event, uh, I would guess, the January, February, as business as usual, and, and then world started to change. Uh, and you were among the first, if not the first, uh, from the bigger event uh, producers uh, to cancel your show for, for this year. And, and that was a really brave move. 95% of your revenues were, were basically gone and you know there was no, no sort of any insights what's going to happen in the future. Um, I was really taken by that. And, and can, can you walk us through a bit? How did you come to that conclusion? You also mentioned in the press release that you say that uh, because we don't know what's going to happen, it's kind of irresponsible from from your side uh, for the sponsors, for the for the attendees, and everyone involved. Uh, if there would be the case that later on you need to cancel it, so so it's, it's better to cancel it totally than just postpone it for a while. Yeah, it's a good question, and it, I I think it comes down to the question of uh, what is actually brave. And what what is not? Um, so, I think the timeline, and I will explain that soon. Uh, the timeline was something like this. So, as mentioned, we started the year uh, with full speed uh, with team of roughly thirty five people, and one really uh, funny thing about that was that when we planned for the main team for this year, uh, for this year's event. It was actually uncertainty, uh, and th- at that point, we didn't actually know at all what will happen uh, with the COVID. Um, I had a call in January with with our uh, Slush China team CEO Chen, Chen Wang, and and Chen mentioned to me that there is something happening in the in the Wuhan. Basically, basically there is this vir- virus ongoing, um, and and 
people are uh, encouraged to be in uh, at their homes. Um, but that it, that didn't yet like uh, cause like a major reaction uh, on on business operations or any decision that, that that I made. But it was something that I left thinking, and then pretty pretty quickly when the virus spread to the to the Europe and to the Italy, for example, and later the US and other countries, um, we kind of like started uh, doing like scenario work and, and and calculations more in depth. We have done something before that. Uh, we knew that there is something um, worrying related to the virus, but only at that point when the virus actually spread to the Italy for the first time, we actually went super deep um, down on the on the calculations and on the scenarios and, and the options. Um, and actually what we first thought about was just what, what if we actually downscale the event? What if this virus causes that many of the international visitors and investors and startups are not interested to join Helsinki, but we're still able to pull the event uh, with smaller scale? And more and more time we used, we realized a couple of things. First of all, we realized that many of the financial projections in different scenarios uh, were kind of st- steering towards company betting strategy, which meant that um, that we would, um, if we cancel the event super late, uh, we're kind of doomed. And then, then it comes kind of back to the question of bravery and and what is actually uh, courageous and why we kind of like realized like why to bet some against something that we that is not in our control at by any means. Uh, so we kind of realized pretty fast that by canceling this event, we can still pull something off for this year but also save time for our visitors and partners who are planning for the event, uh, but at the same time uh, be responsible and ensure that the uh, slush uh, will continue in the future as well. I think that was really good insight. Uh, What you were doing, I remember from the episode with uh, uh, Vault co-founder Elias Aalto, he said, don't bet the farm in any you know single mm. venture so this is basically the same thing so it's better to survive than than you know risk everything so you know venturing anything with startups or any business is basically de-risking so that you're not always putting all the eggs in the same basket it's really important to think every now and then like what is actually brave do you actually have to take this bet what is the upside but what is actually the downside and in our case it was if we only t- talk about the financial perspective sure um we would possibly have been able to do some kind of like decent financial year. That's totally obviously a question mark. Uh, but on the other side, there was, uh, in case the event would be canceled, uh, that would basically uh, threaten the whole future of, of, of the whole organization. So so kind of from that perspective, and especially when I think think about it now, it's, it's totally evident uh, that, that that has to be done. Was there a lot of discussion within the team, or was everyone pretty pretty quickly in the side of let's cancel it and, and do something else and sort of let's forget this thing and, and get over it and have a short grief period and, and, and then we just start to build new stuff? Uh, well, um, obviously, um, not everybody agreed. Um, we start to talk about about the option of of not having the event at all before the layoffs that we have to do and obviously the uh, opinion around what we should do uh, were pretty divided there were thoughts about like having having it as a smaller event having it actually uh, in different location and going even smaller Uh, obviously uh, options for cancelling it right away and um, maybe to answer a question, it was really, really divided uh, because we were to- in totally new situation. 
Um, there were different opinions, like when actually the virus will be gone. Is it actually gone already by the summer? Uh, is it gone by by August? Or is it actually gone next year? And, and it took some time to to be able to kind of explain kind of like what I mentioned earlier about this hedging these risks and and ensuring the health of the f- uh, good future for this organization um, among many other things so so definitely uh, not all not all agreed now you have already started to have new services and, and basically build something for the for the next years as well it's not just event for two days, but it's helping startup founders year-round. Um, what do you think of events? What is the future with business functions? Um, a lot of the dynamics of a physical business and an event where you synchronously in the same time and the same place with people oftentimes traveling from abroad, if you take that physical aspect away, um, I think there's not that much left for the old model if you just copy paste it to the digital world. And you said you were doing scenario planning. Did you did you come to the conclusion that it's better to not just copy paste but start to do something from a blank page and, and start to question everything and assume that something else needs to be done to fulfill your mission? So I think there is like two sides for this. Uh, one is obviously what we did and what we're going to do this year um, in online world. And then there's the question about like how the world of offline events will change and how they possibly would merge together to this so-called hybrid model. Um, for the online events and, and kind of like what we, what we thought about was, uh, well, we did the layoffs. We started with the smaller team again, like kind of like rebooted in the mid-April, and we actually started to think about like what to do now. Um, once again, 95% of the revenue is gone, and the main product is not happening. But we still have time to execute something, and we know that founders need need help. So, obviously, the first and most evident thing was first to think about like can we replace slush with online event maybe the same days going just to online um, but nobody of us actually got really excited excited of the idea because we don't think that it's or it's most likely the best way to fail if you try to replicate things that are how things are happening in offline to how things are happening in online or how they should happen uh, in order to replicate what's happening in the offline world, um, and we realized that that um, people don't really want to sit in front of their computers for twelve hours to watch content. What what you can basically watch whenever you want, uh, and people would like to have maybe other options instead of like sitting two days straight uh, in Zoom and and doing matchmaking. And this is like the, this was basically a starting point to where we started to think like how would the uh, online option work, um, and what we also realized about the offline world that we kind of wanted to replicate to the online is that a lot of people come to conferences and slush and and other events for the reason that they want to get an access to some members in that event. It's kind of like two-day window to get access to some people where you happen to bump uh, to some kind of random investor or some speaker or or just somebody, the serendipity. And how we can replicate that feeling to online was something we also started to think about when we eventually started building Node. And I think one of some of the core aspects of that is um, creating curated community where not everybody is able to join but they have a common interest to do something for investors it's mainly to find something to invest and help and for startups it's to build and to discuss with these people and when they have a vested interest they have also vested interest to help each other 
Um, so these are some of the elements elements that we which we start to think about, like how how we can actually put these to the product. And finally, the last last part was okay. So people don't want to watch content twelve hours straight. So how are we going to do this in our product? So we start to think about like okay, I think it's two op- two ways to do it this uh, in online. One is that you should have a lot of content of which you can choose. And it should be somehow special. So instead of doing it for two days, we're going to do it for the whole fall. And you can kind of like pick and choose when is a good time for you. And the second thing is that we want to make it special. In a way, it, it, we want to ensure that it's conversational. At Slush, uh, at the offline event or at big conferences, you usually, usually just sit like maybe 20 meters away from the speaker and there is no contact. There is no like... Um, it's really hard to get a grasp and, and even ask questions or or uh, be close to the speaker. And that's something we want to create in online world. So you can actually discuss with the, with people who are helping or giving advice. You did some uh, customer service. You asked around uh, with startups and VCs earlier this year that, you know, okay, what are your pain points? What's happening? What do you think is going to happen? What do you need? Uh, what you just described, was that your hypothesis or was that coming out of the, the process you were doing in, in discovering the, the new model? Well, it's it was kind of like emergent process. Obviously, that what I mentioned earlier, it wasn't like the, the early hypothesis. It, it was something that it started from the fact that we, we were not excited of replicating Slush as a two-day event to the two-day online event. So it felt sort of wrong. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. exactly. We're, we, well, I, I, it started from the fact that nobody of us uh, have been in two-day two-day event or in online event before. That was good. That that was the first thing, and the second thing was the like underlying energy of the team and excitement towards towards that idea, and from that moment we started to like unbundle different dynamics, how we could do things and, and started to build uh, towards this. Uh, and while we were like unbundling how we could do this, we obviously discussed with many investors and startups, what are their pain points, what they would like to maybe use, um, how they're currently using online uh, in the midst of Corona, like where they get help, how they raise funding. Um, and based on that, eventually came up Node in the in its current form. And we don't know how it will work. Uh, will people like it? But there is something that we believe is is um, kind of the future of, of how in our our uh, focus area how the, how these things should be done. But I'm sure there is a lot of things to fix and and fine tune. Um, but it, it's a good start. Can you describe the sales pitch? Because you've been doing gold sales earlier in your career. So you were calling investors and, and, and selling things. And the calls were 15 seconds to two minutes. So you have to really get to the point. So me as a startup founder, why should I join Node? Or me as an investor, what is the value for me? <laughs> um, it always starts from the fact that you, you have to know... Um, or I, I would have to ask you, uh, what is your current problem? Okay, if your problem, if I know that, as it's with most of early stage founders, um, they have roughly six months of runaway. Um, and when I know that, I will most likely point out that first before and then describing describing Node. Um, Node is a created community for founders and founders only where investors uh, and ecosystem players also help you for the next stage. Basically, it's a place for you to meet different people to help you go from A to B and after that to the C. Um, and we want to ensure that that you meet investors both by just simply sending messages to, to investors and arranging meetings, but also us helping you with warm introductions to some of the biggest and most prestigious investors in Europe. 
I think that's the pitch. And it comes down to, to the fact that, that um, we are, or we believe that we must do a lot of things that don't scale and a lot of handwork to ensure that people actually meet each other at first before we actually understand the dynamics, how people are working in this online environment. Sounds like you're doing an MVP at this stage. Exactly. It's uh, well, my my kind of belief or um, how I see product product development and, and creating new products is is this mantra that everything is MVP always, or everything is work in progress always. Kind of like that type of mentality. Uh, I think Jeff Jeff Bezos in Amazon says it that it's day one mentality, but um, for me it's like always work in progress. What are your thoughts on community? You've been doing community building earlier in Vasa Entrepreneurship Society. You also been a part of a assembly demo scene. So, and you do also Avid Gamer. So there's a lot of learnings and a lot of good stuff already happening for many years, if not decades, uh, online and and partly offline or as a hybrid model in in different parts. And I think gaming is pretty good example of of how can you. Uh, connect and and communicate and entertain yourself uh, and and be part of a uh, society in a way without actually physically meeting. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. I think gaming is one of the one of the most interesting com- uh, like communities where you feel a, a sense of belonging and kind of like you feel that you are part of this some kind of group and you feel that people are really similar really similar to you although you have never met them um, and it comes from the fact that it's 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 passion for for a lot of these people and they share kind of same language something that you cannot discuss with with just somebody that you bump on the road or on the street uh, but you have your own way of communicating and and it's uh i think that's that's one of the one of the beauties of of gaming communities so is the slash no, node now the new online business disco game open world <laughs> <laughs> um I, well i i i i don't hope that it's it's called that way um but i hope it's it's inclusive place for founders to find help and meet also each other how long do you think it takes that uh, you know you become friends it's the same thing it's basically building trust mm-hmm. if you're meeting uh, you start a founder and you're meeting partners or you're meeting investors you start talking to each other you start to learn from each other and it's not too far from dating basically and you know then you get married if you get investment using the metaphor till the end hopefully not divorcing mm-hmm. um, so what do you think have you planned already the customer transformation or the the user journey through node well yes and no i think there is a lot of a lot of to still to be planned well um what we try to create uh with node is is that when you when you join the node um you have always somebody you can ask help um and that's that's obviously we start with that you can if you're a founder you can always send message to the slush slush team and and to the extended team of slush who, who can like help you forward um but after that uh we try to actually create and 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 and, and um uh, kind of like plan those social dynamics that you that you start to form connections inside of that that, that community as well um but it's really difficult um because you cannot force that, um, and I think the best way is, is, well, based on my hypothesis, is to gather founders or people with with some same topic, for example, same problem that they are currently trying to solve. Let's say you are trying to scale your organization uh, from hiring perspective, or you are thinking about like when to hire your first um chief people officer or or something even more difficult problems than that and gather those people in a group and 
let them discuss and, and help each other, uh, that's by far the best way to form connections and, and, and friendships and, 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 and those. And that's something we are going to do a lot this fall. Now I start to get uh, what you were saying uh, earlier before we went online, that uh, you have this new hypothesis that creators are the new creators. Yes, absolutely. So building sub-communities or smaller groups with the interests. So it's like uh, when you go to Twitch and, and you find that, okay, people are buying, uh, playing Fortnite or Call of Duty, the same thing, you know, these are from the EdTech, these, these people are with FinTech and, and they have uh, these states so it's pretty much the same thing. There's more stuff you can learn from each other and you have more fun and obviously might be a bit competing as well, but you say so much in common. Yes, 100%. I think Slush is, is, is mostly organization that creates information and, and people. And it's something we're pretty good at, in my opinion. Um, and it's 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 really interesting what you said what you said like creators are the new creators because um, it's something that is also happening a lot currently in tech especially and and, and in in video games and in live streaming uh, because the real scarcity is is not like content anymore it's attention and, and obviously it's impossible to absorb everything from the massive flood of information and the best what we can do is is try to pick and choose what matters to us most where should i use time should i watch this video should i actually read this article should i uh actually have a lunch meeting with this person but actually the best even beyond that is to find people who can do creating for us and you have probably seen a lot of these new newsletters like substack uh coming up where people create content for you they find interesting things to read for you or or they write something for you based on many different things um and at slush we're doing exactly the same we at the offline event or in online world we try to find the most interesting people during that year to help you forward with your company they come to speak they deliver information, they give advice, but they are also there to meet you. So in a way, we're doing creation all the time when building these online and offline products. Uh, not just only in events, but also what we do with Soaked, for example, our own digital media. Uh, we have built really MVP resource bank to our website where we aggregate the most interesting articles of different fields of building your company um, because you can save a lot of time when somebody have already read the article and they know that it's good and they recommend it to you i'm much more willing to read it and use time i think there's quite many interesting trends happening here one of them is the speaking of what we already discussed uh deep platformization if that's even a word <laughs> but seeing that uh, instagrams facebooks and and whatnot they they're not showing the content anymore the content creators cannot be guaranteed to reach to the audience anymore by their means and the, last year there was this uh, celebrity thing called community where famous people give their phone numbers and you can text them directly mm -hmm. that was sort of a reaction or at, at least a new new way of uh, trying to get to the audience directly without any anyone else deciding who should get the message or not and i think that's partly the thing as well with all the sub stacks and, and all these content creators they start to ask the question that why should i pay to reach my audience it doesn't make any sense so newsletter is pretty much the one of the oldest technology means in digital world where you are more or less guaranteed to reach everyone and the list is in your control it's just a text file with the with the addresses, you can you can take it with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and there is like interesting ways of how how these creators currently utilize their communities and how they actually even monetize them. Two ways I'm using, or or how I'm like, uh, how I have purchased uh, this new way of like 
curators monetizing their uh, ex- expertise is, is one. Um, I have subscribed to the newsletter um, who's written by Lenny Kravitsky. Uh, he talks about product management and and different kind of like strategies, how to build your product and how to get users and how to manage growth. But when you subscribe to the newsletter, uh, you're not on, instead of getting it only once a month to your mailbox, you get it every week with different topic. But also you get the invitation to his private Slack group. So there's roughly uh, currently 400 subscribers in, in that private Slack group. And it's it's actually pretty interesting and exciting when, for example, if I read that article and I get question, like I have, I, I'm thinking something, for example, related to slush or related to something totally different. And I can actually ask that question from, from a person like Lenny. And usually he replies pretty quickly. And the second thing, what I'm how I'm using this is is obviously live streaming and gaming. So in Twitch, you're able to subscribe to a certain streamer or, or you're able to help them. You're able to don't donate donate them. And something that I what I'm also doing with these with these people is that um, when they're not streaming publicly, like they're they're not online at Twitch, they might do do the, like these community games or streams, um, uh, where the streamer pe- spends time with the with the people who are, who have supported them or or are part of their community, and that's really fun as well. Many episodes back, I think might be the number six, Ville Tolvanen. Uh, was talking about community building and obviously he's he's big in, in Finland in digital uh, transformation and he was saying and that's the title of the episode as well make your work visible mm-hmm. and and he was also talking about really tiny nieces that you don't need to know everything you can just be really good at something and and people will find you and 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 that's your way of become an expert and you just show and do the work and I think this is really what's happening. And, and it's really fascinating that you can now connect to the people who are on top of their game. And, and it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. And, and that's really amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agree. Agree. Uh, I think some of the most interesting articles around like this passion economy or these like creators or new creators type of things has been written by... Uh, Lee Jin uh, from Andreessen Horowitz, uh, different blog posts, and I recommend reading those uh, for anybody who's interested. You were also writing about esports and the future of esports. Could you just briefly explain what is esports and how big it is and what's the significance? Why should we spend any time in this podcast to talk about it? <laughs> uh, I strongly believe that. The future generations and and even the current generations like like myself will be using not in 20 years but actually in five to ten years uh, significant proportion of their time uh, watching other people play games especially other people play games competitively uh, now i get it why it's called sports spectator sports exactly exactly <laughs> uh so that's that's why I think we should we should talk about it. So esports, in in really short manner, how as I mentioned, uh, is is people playing against each other video games um, competitively. Uh, it started roughly twenty years ago with the games like Quake and Counter Strike, and back then it was mostly something that uh, these nerds like myself, did in their homes or at LAN parties in the local area network. Um, but a lot of things happened around 2013 and 2014 when a game called Leech of Legends from Riot Games started to grow and, and get even more popular. Um, and currently it's, it's, uh, it's still... Uh, fairly small um, part of gaming if the gaming is over worth over 160 billion 
esports of uh, e- esports is is or the market of esports is is only one billion at that point uh, or uh, or at this point. But uh, it's it's growing really rapidly and it's getting more and more um, attention from young people. People want to watch other play. People play themselves, and everything related to the esports uh, is growing heavily. That's becoming the regular sports in a sense that the younger generations are not um, looking the old way, the physical sports so much. It's basically the demographics of the old sports is is getting older. The new people are just converting to the gaming. I think well, uh, another fascinating thing about the gaming is that. It's the same games you can play. Obviously, it's the same thing like football. You you can still play football locally and, and with your friends, and and you can relate easily. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's maybe it's even more fascinating that you can you know do it electronically, and and it could be you if you're just good enough, or you you can just relate. And when you really in the sharing the moments, uh, maybe it's even more personal, more intimate than just watching some football in a, in a huge stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent, and and. And one of the reasons, or one of the really exciting parts of of esports, um, and like, and even how like how how big that industry can actually grow, is that it's insanely accessible. And also, what you mentioned, you can share the experiences in totally different way than than in traditional sports. Uh, first of all, the accessibility due to the fact that esports is digital only game or way of doing that. Uh, provides like unprecedented accessibility for for that. You can be 150 centimeter tall or two meters. Uh, you are not judged by your physical ability, uh, how well you can play the game, um, because only what you need is um, in-depth understanding of the game. You need internet access, quite decent PC, and then just the curiosity for doing that so and then of course like uh, depending on the game um, interest to develop yourself in similar fashion like if you would be playing chess or or some other other similar games so the accessibility for for esports is is amazing so you don't have to buy maybe or use 500 euros or 1000 euros for for ice hockey equipment or, or different things you Every year, you basically like need like 500 euros for PC, which you can use for for four years, and then get access to games that are mostly free to play. Finland has been having is it is actually from the 80s assembly mm-hmm. the demo scene, and I think uh, that could be probably attributed partly to the success of Finland uh, Finnish uh, companies and you know individuals in in the, in the global gaming scene. Good uh, share uh, of uh, per capita gaming companies coming from Finland. So you've been part of that scene. Can you explain a bit to the people who maybe don't know Assembly? What's behind that and how it's been growing and maybe is that the roots for the success of Finland in the gaming? Yes. So Assembly is a Finnish demo scene and, and gaming event. It started as just like like totally uh, only as a demo scene event uh, on 1992. Demo scene is, is in in short way or in short explanation uh, a form of art what you can do on, on your computer. Uh, it combines computer graphics, music and, and different parts of, of creating these real-time uh, audiovisual um, art pieces. It, it's art of combining code, uh, art, and music. And it started in 1992 uh, as a small group of people who were really interested to do different things uh, on your computers and, and, and learn from each other. Uh, and it actually grew pretty quickly. Uh, already in the 90s, it was in, in, in Helsingin Jaalli uh, for uh, several thousand people. Oh, it's okay. Ice hockey ring exactly, and then and then later uh, grew and grew to to larger larger venues. And currently, it's it's held in the Helsinki Exhibition Center for for roughly eight thousand people. 
annually. Uh, it has shifted a bit from from the demo scene to the gaming side and, and to the esports, what we discussed earlier. And it kind of attracts people from from 12 years old to, to 60 years old who share the common passion for games. And, and st- for example, what you can do at assemblies is to watch these demos in competitions where people, uh, for example, they build new games and then they compete in, in game development competition or you can uh, there is a competition where you have to create a demo with commander 64 so this kind of like old school demo combo or with amiga so these old old computers and then there is like esports tournaments and to your question about um has assembly been core and and one of the key reasons why uh where there is so many successful gaming companies and i think a lot it has had a big big impact um finland and the finnish programmers were like way ahead of of many other countries in the 90s in computer graphics and 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 ma- many of these things due to the fact that that people enjoyed to do uh these demos on their free time and for example, a lot of these people just did them for free and as a hobby. But when they realized that actually, wait a minute, can I get paid for this? And later, uh, for example, in the 95, there were a lot of like companies formed that are still existing in the Finnish gaming scene, like Remini Entertainment, or or even earlier than that, there was Terra Margu and, and, and Bloodhouse which later merged into Housemark Mark, which is still around after 25 years and currently creating uh, quite an mo- awesome looking game for, for PS5. Can you name a few of their favorite games so that maybe people don't recognize the company names, but they may recognize the, you know, the titles? Absolutely. For, for example, Remini has made, I think one of their like breakthrough game was Max Payne. Uh, Max Payne and, and Max Payne 2. And then later they have made like games like Alan Wake and just recently uh, a game called Control. That's one example of, of a remedy. And there was also a few aspects. Uh, basically, one of them was that early in the computing, uh, there was not too much of, uh, well, there was a scarce resources. You, you really didn't have that much computing power. You didn't really have that much memory. So you really have to be inventive. You know, you have to be almost like a genius, Steve. Uh, was type uh, to get something amazing out of these uh, tiny things and and then came to mobiles and it was the same thing in the beginning you had a tiny black and white screen and there was basically no memory there either that was i think the perfect scene for the jump from the art and hobby to the business world and get your warm game to the world and and, and then came obviously later on the, the pc exactly PC. exactly it's been like almost three decades of history and, and scarcity is here. I think one of the key things, you have to be creative when, you, when you, something is not in place. It was all about like pushing your computer to the absolute limits uh, at that point. Like how we can actually pull the absolute maximum of the computer for this, for this demo. And I think one of the... One of the most historic examples of that is a demo called uh, Second Reality, which was published in 1993 uh, by Future Crew. And a lot of its members are like really successful investors and entrepreneurs these days. Um, and not just only entrepreneurs and investors, but also like musicians and, 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 and many others. And now we see actually the same thing happening in a different field related, obviously, augmented reality and, and VR. And for example, Finnish Vario is yep. pushing the edge now with the same thing. Once again, limited resources. We don't have enough computing power and affordable means to do things we would like to get photorealistic video or augmented reality. So so it's still going on and, and it's pretty much the same people as well. Yep, exactly. There's... Um... A lot of demo seniors um, in these companies, like bringing that 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 history and that experience to these companies, and I think it's 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 really beneficial um, that the demo scene community was so strong in in the 80s and the 90s, and even early to 20 uh, early to 2000, uh, and 
still there is like sub-communities in Finland uh, who are interested about about demo scene and, and I think assembly is really important event also for that purpose that these people actually meet each other even uh, once a once a year uh, old school demo seniors come together and they discuss like how they're doing and and what they have been doing lately and and I think talking about communities uh, assembly is an example of of extremely important organization and event and community uh, for exactly this purpose because it brings people together who have been part of or are currently or want to be part of this art of doing something great with with your computer and with great passion exactly that was the thing when you started to describe assembly in in the beginning i was about to say uh, throw a joke there and say that uh, hey are you actually talking about slush (laughs) starting and the same thing passion to change the culture and 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 do things so i think this is pretty much how how things get started few people get together they start to do things and they're really passionate what they do it's not for the money it's not for the monetization they want to change something they want to do something together and and then they just find find each other and more people are joining and that's how many of the amazing things get started a lot of work a lot of passion and then then it's just in the right time amazing stuff happens exactly why i'm so fascinated about games and this world is the thing that is also pushing the edge in technology wise mm-hmm. uh, if you think about gamers the gaming computers obviously are quite powerful if if you live streaming the latency needs to be really short if you're pushing it to the thousands, tens, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people at the same time, it has to work. Mm-hmm. And, and in games, you see that if the, the video quality is not good enough, you miss the action and you don't really want to do that. Same thing with audio, same thing with uh, chatting. If, if it's crappy, it doesn't work. So there's a lot of demand for high quality services. How do you scale the community, you know, uh, interaction, engagement? How do you keep the trolls away? How do you deal with spam? How do you monetize it? The same thing also with the, with the, with the creators, the, the gamers themselves who become stars. It's basically low entry barrier to come to the field. So how do you become a successful there? It's, it's really competitive and, and obviously P2C model. So I think there's a lot of things regular P2P businesses, startups can learn from, from the gaming and, and this well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Vila Tolovanen was saying that he was looking the uh, the bands, rock bands, Metallica, you know, how they actually changed their business model uh, after LPs and cassettes and, and CDs. Uh, that model was basically killed and, and, and they need to do some live events and touring and start to build communities around their fans mm-hmm. and monetize that and even between the tours what are all the means you can engage in, uh, with your community and, and, and build build uh, excitement and experiences together with people and if that's not a community what is so i think mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of exciting things happening in in this decade uh, and we may not even need to meet physically at all yeah i i think gaming and and game development is uh there's a reason why it's like forerunner in many things and why different industries seem to like replicate some of the things that gaming has done or the gaming community has done before i think i think there's two reasons for that one is that game development itself combines so many different expertise that you have to combine in order to to create a great game it combines like programming uh, from graphics to server side it combines mathematics it combines art it combines music business and marketing and all of these storytelling as well and storytelling exactly amazing you know yeah storyline exactly exactly and these like have to work together like beautifully that's something that um a lot of companies definitely get inspired from and, and and kind of like try to understand like how these organizations are built and and how they work together and why actually they work together and the second thing why i think game development and gaming is is a good test bed for many things that we're going to see in the future from from other from the other field as well is is that um 
the gaming community and the, and the fans and, and the players are usually really interested to try new things. So, um, so you kind of get um, a lot of testers and people early on to try your product. These days it happens, for example, that if you're building a new game, you already since the day one start to build your community in Discord where you can discuss with people and basically build the game together with them uh, while they provide insights and different thoughts. So so do these two things allow like companies in, in gaming uh, kind of like try new things, push the limits, but also get pretty quick iterations and, and understanding like are we actually doing the right thing currently. I'm sure you've been discovering, evaluating a lot of different uh, platforms for building communities, communicating with people. doesn't need to be a community per se, but even just with your customers. Can you recommend something? For example, how, how could I reach people? How can I connect with, uh, with hundreds or thousands of people? Obviously, there's Slack, there's Discord. There are different ways to do it. Even in the online platforms, there's like Hopin, obviously Zoom. Mm. Uh, but somehow I feel that all of these are lacking the things we really desire or they have the downside as well. Uh, and, and it's not so vibrant in the, you know, in the, in the long term. Uh, you know, getting back to those, always going to different places. And, and you need to have a compelling reason. You want to go there. You want to hang out. You want to do those things. It's after the initial excitement goes away, that's harder to achieve. So what are your thoughts? What, what do you think is working now? I, I've seen there's a lot of companies who are building things now. So asking this question maybe one year later, you know, it's, it's going to be completely different answers. But what are the good things to, to look at now? Well, it kind of depends on, on how you are describing like what exactly you want to find and, and what kind of communities you want to find. Um, I agree with you that there is no, maybe um, if you don't take into account Clubhouse that is currently um, like really... Send me an invite. Yeah, exactly. You have to, you have <laughs> to get the invite and there's a lot of FOMO for getting the invite, but, but that's like part of the story. A lot of these communities and, and these, these platforms work because not everybody is able to join there. Um, and that's, that's like the tough part of, of answering to your question that, that if, if it's accessible for, for many, um, usually there are a lot of problems with that. Maybe a lot of like cluttered messages and you're not knowing everybody or you might share different kind of like thought or passions in that group. But uh, I, I have been always maybe kind of like not answering straight to your question, but maybe answering maybe from the sidelines. I have been always really interested of, of, of like hanging around in the edges of the internet. And, and what that means is, is, is exactly being part of, of some really specific communities. Um, and for me, how I find them is, is usually subreddits and, and Reddit itself. Um, there are amazing, amazing communities on, on different topics. Uh, for example, now I'm recording uh, this podcast in my, in my own room and I, I see around myself like there is plants and there is like a sewer machine and there is a television. And, and for each of these things, there is a subreddit where people who are extremely passionate about let's say, plants, they discuss together. And usually through those subreddits, you find forums that are not like easily browsable uh, from, from Google or you cannot find them. Or you find Discord channels or you find Slack channels or whatever they are. Um, but I think the, main, the first thing what you have to do is kind of like understand what you're looking and then just dig deep in the edges of the internet. That's a, a bit different que- uh, answer to your question. <laughs> and, and another thing about building the community, if, if you are about to release your product, for example, and you need to gather the audience there and, and somehow raise the interest as well. Uh, I think one of the key learnings is as well that if you just open the floodgates, if you're in, in that lucky position that there's a lot of people queuing and waiting for, that may not be the, the best approach in the long term. In order for the community to, to grow and have a culture and values, you, you need to have a limited amount of people there first to, to define that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's probably something 
I think is important if you if you want to do this in the long term as well. And was that the reason you also been limiting in, in Slash now in your node, uh, the amount of people you want to get in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, there is maybe two reasons for that. Um, the first one is that we want to ensure that the amount of people we let in is an amount that we can actually create and help by ourselves. If, if it's kind of like explodes right away to 10,000 uh, or 15,000 or 30,000, it dilutes the community uh, in a way that, that it's really hard to understand who are here, what they're wanting. There are a lot of people who are looking for different things. So we kind of like want to start with smaller number and then scale um, the community um, after we like on different stages when we realize that we can actually help these people and and at the second thing kind of what is different to the offline version of slush is is that in offline event you have been able to buy the ticket for for the event uh, without applying if you have been uh, buying pass as a, like attendee which is a category for our tickets um, and not just as a, as a startup or, event in, or investor or media um, but for for node it's it's a bit different now because we have only tickets that has to be applied it's it's for startups investors and and uh, like a access type what we call ecosystem for which is for mainly like accelerators and, and people working with startups and helping startups but are not investors so that kind of like pretty naturally also limits how many people we're getting and how many people are applying um but yes we want to ensure that um the community size is manageable and it doesn't feel like a huge mess right away because i i see a lot of those those um for example at linkedin currently Personally, I use LinkedIn daily. It's just basically the place to find people uh, uh, who are not just only in this ecosystem, like kind of kind of see like really quickly like what they're doing. But other than that, I think LinkedIn is absolutely garbage. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is that um, I get maybe ten to fifteen messages from people who I don't know who want to sell, and mostly they are bots. And that's something we absolutely want to avoid when building Node. And this reminds me of something, I think, which is emerging. Uh, it was actually Preston Byrne in, in uh, just a few episodes back where he was talking about how junior lawyers mm-hmm. don't have a career path anymore because AI, machine learning, algorithms are getting so good that the work they've been doing uh, is not needed anymore. And I, I think that is happening pretty quickly with the content as well. If you can push out good content, decent content, uh, whether it's a blog post, whether it's whatever uh, LinkedIn invites, even with personalized uh, messages that, you know, hey, I really like uh, your, your comment on this. or in your blog post, you mentioned this and that. That's all pot. And I think that's coming quickly as well. Mm. Uh, maybe this is the last moments to really reach to people uh, directly because it's the same thing what happened with uh, with uh, regular telephone calls those spammers calling telemarketers and, and it's just like I don't want to pick up the phone there's there's no one there I want to speak to and, and it was just basically impossible to get through the people so this is now happening I, I think to the, the last of the uh, means uh, and it's coming quicker than probably expected. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and that's uh, what we're trying to crack with with the product that we're building. Like how to ensure like real human connection and actually valuable uh, people to meet and and ensure that if you join for a session or you consume content, it's already consumed by somebody else instead of like just tossing it to yourself uh, in front of you and, 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 and hoping that it's, it's valuable. What makes you happy? Um, what makes me happy is having high ambition 
interesting thing to do daily and being with my girlfriend. How do you define success? Success, um, that's a really good question. I, I think success is something when you feel uh, a sense of fulfillment uh, inside, your, inside of yourself. What are the things you're struggling with? Well, I struggle a lot uh, with managing time. Is it just peculiar to the, this year and sort of compressed post-corona syndrome of new world, new levels, open world game, you don't know the rules, the controllers are a bit you know, off, you don't really know what's going to happen? I think it comes from the fact that I don't know what's going to happen and I want to, and I try to find different sources, uh, pieces of information, discuss with people to understand what's happening but as we as nobody of us know what will happen in in next month or in three months uh, it's a big adventure and and you can use as much as time you ever want so the struggle with time comes from the fact that at some point i just have to give uh, put a stop and it's time to stop thinking and uh, do something else and that makes managing the time currently difficult. I read somewhere that uh, one of the reasons computer games are so successful is that you feel some sense of fulfillment and control because you can you know, learn the game, try again, and, and then you can succeed. So it's kind of a world where you are in control versus the real world, open world game where, like you described, we don't really know what's going to happen. There's no easy ways to, to read walkthroughs that do this and it's going to work. Nobody knows the playbook. You have to figure it out yourself and you can write about it and, and you know, then it's already changed. Mm-hmm. So, so this is just, uh, but I, I think that's part of the fun. It's just, you know, the experience we're having. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite word? Demo. What is your least favorite word? <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say that's mediocre. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, Nights and trance music. What turns you off? (laughs) Hunger. What is your favorite curse word? Um, Curse word? Um, Well, well, I, I think nothing in English. But in Finnish, sorry for my language, it's maybe like voi vittu, which is roughly translated to oh fuck. What sound or noise do you love? My girlfriend's laughter. What sound or noise uh, do you hate? Uh, my phone notification sounds. You can take them off. <laughs> I know. What profession other than your own would you like to attend? I would like to try to be an esports athlete. What profession would you not like to do? I'm not that good at crafts. Um, and also, I, I would like to try many of those things. Uh, I don't believe that I would enjoy specifically that anything that requires really, really specific hand-eye coordination. <laughs> if you could be a co-founder of any startup in any era, which one would you choose? Well, this is not maybe too surprising, but I would maybe choose either the present moment or early 2000 and, and computer graphics. Any particular company or just in the field? Maybe, maybe just in the field or then hybrid graphics or early days of NVIDIA. Related question to the alternative career. Is there actually an upper limit? Is it reaction time or something? Can you still in your 50s, 60s or 70s become an esports athlete? Honestly, I don't know. Nobody have tried uh, before. It seems that there is a trend that after after like maybe 27 or 28, uh, there is a lot of esports athletes that are retiring um, and they are not maybe performing at the level that they used to be 
I think the optimal age, especially from the reaction time perspective, seems to be like early 20s. Um, but I think the data might be a bit skewed in, in a way that many of these players also want to try something else in their life uh, when they're getting closer to the 30s and or early 30s. But I don't know. I would love to try it out. And I think there's also different types of games. Not all of them require fast reactions in, in that sense that you need to shoot someone to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like well, in FPS games, it's it's a lot of the reaction time. In these MOBA games like League of Legends, it's also reactions, but it's also the intelligence inside of the game and the tactics. And and then there are of course games like Hearthstone, which is the, this like turn-based card game. Where it's most like chess, you have just have to think about like what the opponent is probably doing, what are my cards, what I can do. Uh, so obviously, there is games that are also suitable for those that the best days of your reaction time might be already gone. So it's time to maybe then turn to the card games. Any final words for the audience? If you are ever interested to learn about what the hell is esports and and how it works who are there what companies are included why people seems to be interested about it uh, send me a message in twitter or email or whatever you know you will find me uh, happy to provide insights and there was also an excellent medium article you wrote earlier this year yeah there is a medium article about like underlying drivers for for why I believe esports will grow massively in the next 10 years um, written to the Maki VC blog. That's a good start. Thank you, Mika. Thank you, Petri. Thank you for inviting me. It was uh, really fun. Thank you for listening. You can find full episode notes and transcripts at talkswithpetri.com. How can I help you to build your company? Send me an email, tweet, or leave a comment on my social media posts. You can find them in Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, even in YouTube. If you like the show, send the show link to a friend of yours. I appreciate your help. Until next time.